Lord God, we just sang that here your bride, to you we sing. God, we are your bride and we pray, Lord God, that you would wash us with the water of your word. God, as we open your word this morning, just pray, God, that you would speak to us. God, your word doesn't return void. Nothing can thwart your plan. You are God. Father, I pray that you would meet each one of the people in this room right where they are. Or God, for those that don't know you, Father, I pray that you would, you would woo their hearts to you. God, for those of us who do know you, God, that you would draw us into a deeper place. Blessed are those that are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Lord, it's our desire to see you this morning. It's our desire to encounter you in your word. God, would you just make yourself on display that we would just take joy in who you are. Above all things, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. All right, we are in Genesis chapter 4. Give you a second to turn there. We're going to finish up through verse 24 today. Genesis chapter 4 should be within the first four or five pages of your Bible. There are some pew Bibles there in the chairs if you don't have one. And if you need one, feel free to take it home. We're going to read all the way through Genesis chapter 4 up to verse 24 this morning. And then we're going to focus in on the kind of the last sections of that. So Genesis chapter 4, verse 1. Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was the worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flocks and of the fat portions. And the Lord God had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened up its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. 
When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me away from the ground, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord put a mark on Cain, lest any who found him should attack him. Then Cain went away from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. To Enoch was born Irid. Irid fathered Mahujiel, and Mahujiel fathered Methushiel, and Methushiel fathered Lamech. And Lamech took two wives. The name of one was Ida, and the name of the other, Zillah. Ida bore Jabel. He was the father of all those who dwell in tents and have livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of all those who play the lyre and pipe. Zillah also bore Tubal-Cain. He was the forger of all instruments of bronze and iron. The sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wives, Ida and Zillah, hear my voice. You wives of Lamech, listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold... Then Lamex is 77-fold. And we'll stop there. Last week, we looked at the first sections of this, where we see Cain and Abel being born, and God making good and his faithful promise to essentially make mankind prosper. Mankind is, is now procreating. We're seeing the earth be populated. We see this by starting with Cain and Abel. And then we see Cain and Abel each bringing a sacrifice, but as we talked about last week, Cain's sacrifice was more of kind of a religiosity, external worship thing where he's just checking the box, going through the motions. He didn't do it God's way. He did it Cain's way. And we see Abel obeying God and bringing the offering that God demanded. And from that, Abel was accepted by God. His offering was accepted and Abel was accepted, but Cain wasn't. And so Cain got angry, and that's kind of where we left it. We didn't really get to the point where Cain killed Abel, but we got to the point where this not being accepted by God, he just got angry. He says his face fell, but God still went to him and said, why is your face falling? And we see the heart of God here where he says, you know what, you're, you're not beyond grace yet. You're not beyond grace why is your face fallen? If you do the right thing, I'll accept you. If you do what I've asked you to do, I'll accept you. You're not, you haven't gone too far. But then, in his anger, he gets his brother and he brings him into the field and, and he kills him. Now, just think about this for a minute. At this point, there are only two people other than Adam and Eve on the planet. And one of them, who just heard from God, took his brother out into the field and killed him out of anger. 
Well, if he wasn't beyond grace before, he certainly must be now. But God comes to him just like he came to Adam after Adam had eaten the fruit and he said, where are you? And in the same kind of voice, he comes to Cain and he says, Cain, where's your brother? He's still giving him a chance here to repent, isn't he? You're still not beyond grace. You still haven't done anything that's so far outside of where I am that I can't forgive you and bring you back to myself. You're not there. But how does Cain respond? He says, I'm not my brother's keeper. Who are you talking to? I, uh. And God says, oh, what have you done? What have you done? Your, your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. And he curses Cain and sends him away. Now, what happened to Abel here? And this is an interesting part because we see this part about crying out, his blood crying out from the ground. And it's interesting, we go all the way out to Revelation chapter 6. This is one of my, well, I like this verse, I'm about favorite, but it's a, you see when he opens up one of the seals, he says, I, I looked under the altar and here's all of these saints essentially that had been beheaded or hadn't taken the mark or their blood had been spilled for the word of God, the righteous blood. Abel's the first guy under the altar. He died because his acts were righteous and his brother hated him. He's the first martyr. And Abel's hanging out under the altar and his blood is crying out for vengeance. And we hear that through the age after the seal, all these people that are under this altar are crying out, God, how long? How long must we wait till our blood is avenged? There's a passage, well, we'll get to that passage in a minute, but I'll say it anyway since I brought it up, where it says, the sprinkled blood of Christ speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Because the blood of Abel cries out for vengeance. It cries out for just justice. Make things right. Where the blood of Christ cries out for forgiveness and mercy is provided like the song that we sang provides a way back to reconciliation so he kills Abel and God curses him and puts a mark on him the mark is one of the most interesting things some people said I love this that the mark is a dog that just followed Cain around everywhere a big giant mastiff dog so that anytime anybody came to attack Cain the dog would remind them they shouldn't do that. That's just hilarious. I mean, you get, when you start studying these things, you just wonder, where do these people come up with this stuff? I mean, there's, there's so many different things trying to figure out what's the mark. Probably that, that, that whiskers right there, that's probably the mark. I don't know. Who knows how God marked Cain, but the point was when people saw, wait, what people? Wait a minute, he just killed the last guy who wasn't his mom and dad. There are no people. What's he worried about? Well, now we have to kind of think through what God's doing here. God is creating, look at this tree. That tree is a lot of people. Now right now we're kind of scurrying off down this blue line right here. But Adam and Eve are not disobedient. They're procreating. And this other tree is going to start growing. This other this other branch through the tree. And Cain knows that. And he knows that somebody is going to take vengeance. And when they find out that he killed Abel, the righteous one, he's meat. He knows that. 
And that's what he's crying out for. People are going to be around. So God marks him and says, you know what? I'm going to keep you safe. And the bulk of the message I hope today is going to be spent on. Why? Why? That's where I got stuck. And since I got stuck there, you're going to get stuck there. Why? Why this branch? Why just not snip right there? Anyway, we move on. He curses him. He's now to be a wanderer. He says, you will be a wanderer, a fugitive. You're to just wander around. That's your call now. And of course, we're going to see he's disobedient to that too. But then Cain leaves the presence of the Lord. What does that mean? What does it mean to leave the presence of an omnipresent God? To answer that question, let's kind of ask another one. When we say today, we say, oh, he came to Christ. He came to Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means by faith, a person has denied himself and has taken Christ as Lord. He's taken the forgiveness of what Christ has done. He's thinking his mind is aligned with God. And he's accepted to live under Christ for the rest of his life. That's what it means to accept Christ as Lord. And in doing so, as we sang in the song, that Christ's blood covers us. We now are righteous in front of God. All of these things. Well, then what does it mean to leave the presence of God? It's the opposite of that. At this point, Cain decided... I no longer give a rat's whisker about what God says. I am moving on my own way. I'm going to do my own thing, and that's the way it's going to be. Cain leaves the presence of God, and God is still protecting him. So then we see that Cain knows his wife, and Enoch is born. Now again, we have to stop and say, what wife? I love to read books. I have a number of books about skeptics, and and there's two kind of skeptic books that you can read. If you go to a Bible bookstore and you go to a skeptic book, the cool thing about those skeptic books is they all have the answers in them. Right? You have the you have the skeptic statement, you scratch your head, but right below it is the answer. Well, if you go to Barnes and Noble and go to the philosophy section, there are the skeptic books that don't have the answers. Those are a little tougher. Sometime you can go there and every single one of these skeptic books will have a couple of these things. One is where could Cain have possibly got his wife? Where could he possibly have got his wife? Well, in 2009 we see that this is an issue. If you were to marry your sister, that would be a bad thing. If you were to have children, because now we have all these chromosome problems and so on and so on. We don't need to get into that. Maybe Brother Dean could stand up and tell us all about that. Or Steve, where are you? Yeah, you could tell us all about that. But right now, there's problems with that, and it's against God's law to marry and and procreate with close relations. But back here, where people are perfect, this is no issue. This is no issue, and it has to happen in order to to see mankind grow. And so where did Cain get his wife? Well, it was one of his sisters, eventually. But note, we're talking 800 years of people. This family tree can exponentially grow without... You probably didn't even know these people. Okay, So there's no issue here at all with Cain finding a wife. None. There's all kinds of people to choose from. Okay, So 
he has Enoch with his wife. And right after he's born, we have Cain building a city. Now we can just graze, just graze over this until we remember, wait a minute, God told him he's going to be a wanderer. And so we're just getting this picture of Cain and what's happening. Cain was told that you're going to be a fugitive and a wanderer, so Cain goes out and builds a city. Cain goes out and builds a city. What we get right after that then is the generations all the way up to Lamech. But what happens here? Lamech takes two wives. And so we see here right away we have polygamy taking over. Okay, So we have Cain doing it his way and then... Then Lamech coming and saying, hey, this is a great idea. Look at all these women. I can have all the ones I want. And, like it said in Genesis 3, I'm going to rule over them. This has got to be the worst thing for a woman in this predicament, where now you have a tyrant like Lamech, who now is gathering wives. That's got to be a rough thing. Rough thing. And all I'm trying to build here is this shoot going off the side is certainly a goat head thistle. Okay? As, as we talk through this, it's growing and God's faithfulness is allowing mankind to grow. Okay, we have to see that. His faithfulness is allowing mankind to grow. But over on this shoot, we have unabated evil. We have a group of people who have decided, I am not going to do what God tells me to do, regardless of what he says. And so as I bring these things up, just note that, because we get to the next piece here, we see civilization now start to grow. We see that these different people now, that so-and-so bore so-and-so, bore so-and-so, and I'm not going to try and say the names again, but... We see civilization, we see culture, we see music, we see arts, we see all of these different things. We see weapons. It's interesting the name Tubal Cain, how that's kind of put together with the uh, making of the bronze and, and metal. Tubal Cain, it's just a way of saying that those bronze and metal items were not just used for farming and so on. With the name Cain stuck in there, we're just saying these are... These are weapons. These are, they can make everything, but, but they're not all just for good. Okay, and, the, and the name Tubal Cain represents that. But civilization is now flourishing. It's culture, all of these great things. And I'm not going to get distracted with, uh, I'll say it though, they built it in these cities. These civilizations started to grow, but the culture that they created, the security they created by gathering all the people, having all the swords, having the nice art, the music, the lyre, the pipes, all of these things was not enough to save them. You notice the branch doesn't grow back in anywhere. It was not enough. So I don't want to get distracted. Almost every commentary takes a real long period of time here because in in the day and age that we live, very often... Our security is in our culture. It's in our society. The whole idea of humanism, and as long as we're doing good to our common man and all that, we feel good about ourselves because we're not really evil. It's them. It's those other bad people. It's not us. And so there's this tendency to rely a lot on on our society for our quote-unquote salvation because it makes us good enough. Here we see... Culture and society did not bring that weed back into the tree. And then lastly, we have 
Lamech's Song of the Sword. Tradition is what calls it Song of the Sword. It's not called this in the scripture. But, and I just have to share, one guy said, here's what I... This isn't the same guy that talked about the big dog being the mark of Cain. This is a different one. He says, when I see Lamech singing this song, I see him naked with a sword, trampsing back and forth in front of his wives, singing this to his wives. Okay, when I read it, I don't get that picture. I don't... I, I just... I don't get it, but there's definitely a sense of violence here. Okay, there's definitely a sense of violence. And let's read this song. It says, Ida and Zilla, hear my voice. And he's singing. It's a song. It's a song. The wives of Lamech, listen to what I have to say. I have killed a man for wounding me. Simply wounding me. Violence. Oh, and it gets worse. A young man, and that's really meaning a boy, a child. I killed a child for striking me. I'm the man. I got barbed wire tattooed across my chest. And if you mess with me, you're going down. The name's Rambo. Okay, so that's the picture that we have here, right? We just have this, this just oozing violence coming out of this man. And so we can't underestimate that. It's in a little poetic language. We read it, we go, oh, look, the poor guy, he got hit, and so he had to kill a guy. It was, it was not self-defense. This is not what he's saying. He's very proud of this. And then he ends it with this. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then mine's going to be 77-fold. And Jesus actually picks up on this later on. This is just an avalanche of violence. That's what this is. It's just, things have grown to a point here where this is just natural. And we're going to see this even later on. But Jesus picks this up in Matthew 18, where Peter comes to him and he says, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? All the way up to seven? And Jesus plays off of this number here. If his vengeance is sevenfold and mine is seventy-sevenfold, and Jesus says, how about this? Not seven, but seventy times seven forgiveness. In one place we have this avalanche of violence, this avalanche of vengeance, and on this other side we have this avalanche of forgiveness and grace. And the play on those numbers was not an accident. Okay. So we're going to get to this part where the question is why. By verse 24, we see mankind just controlled by evil, period. That's what we have. And and just out of the gates, I struggle a great deal with this passage because when I get to the end of it, the implications are, are very convicting for me. Because what we see here is when we see evil weaving its way through mankind, I can't stand very far away from that and say that evil doesn't weave through me either. And then when I look at the plan of God, the plan of God is not to destroy evil, but to defeat it. And the conviction there is the implications of what that should be doing in me and what it hasn't done yet. And so, my words may get a little slow here, but this is a tough spot. So, anyway, let's, let's dive into this. If God created everything, why did he create evil? This is another one of those things that are in every single skeptic's book. There is no way to have a loving God and evil in the same world. 
you can't have it. And every one of these books go pages and pages of explaining why this can't happen. If God is all loving, then there should be no pain. There can be no pain. And this will struggle a number of people. This right here is the, is the tipping line that keeps them from coming to faith. They just can't get over this. Well, first off, that's why I put a nice big X here. This question is not formed correctly. Because it makes us think that God has in some way created evil. And God did not create evil. Evil is what we call an ontological parasite. I just love using that phrase. It sounds good. It it doesn't live on its own. It's kind of like darkness. If I turn off all the light, what do I have? I have darkness. It doesn't exist by itself. It's the absence of something. And so evil's kind of the same way. The potential for evil was created when God gave us free will. When God created mankind with free will, immediately the potential for evil shows up with that. So there are a couple of solutions to this. God didn't need to create it all. God wasn't sitting in heaven one day going, oh, you know what, I just don't have enough glory. I need to create some people so I can get a little more glory. No, God is perfect. He had no needs. God wasn't sitting there watching a football game saying, oh, I'm just bored. I think I'll, i I got to create something. I just, no, that's not it. God did not need to create us. But he did. And it would be no better if he didn't create us because they're not the same things. God could have created us robots. He could have. He could have created us without the ability to choose. When he put the the tree there of the knowledge of good and evil, he could have just chopped that down and made firewood out of it right away. So there's just no possible way to move through this and we would have never done that. He could have just... He could have left it there and just not given us the ability to choose. There is no free will. They simply are puppets. They do what I tell them to do, and that's it. He could have done that. Or he could have created us and not allowed us. He could have given us free will, but we can't use it. Well, that's kind of the same as a robot thing. But at least then we had free will. Whenever we come up with these kind of questions, it's imperative that we go back to who God is. There's a couple of books here. we got to go back to the attributes of God. Tozer writes these two books. They're fantastic. One's called The Attributes of God. And the other one is Knowledge of the Holy. And these books go over who God is. What are his attributes? And why that's important is this. God is all-knowing. God has all wisdom. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Nothing can frustrate God's plan. If God thought... That the way to maximize his glory by creating mankind was to create mankind with free will, even though it made the potential for evil, that is the best plan. Period. God can do nothing but the best. And when he created mankind, he said it was very good. So where we're sitting today in this muse of evil and flesh and worldliness and sin... And holiness and righteousness and Christ's blood and this big mix of things. It's because God has deemed that this is the best way to get glory. 
This is the best way for this whole thing called mankind to move through history. God has deemed it that way. That's why it was created. Yes, there is potential for evil. Yes, many of us in this room have experienced incredible amounts of pain because someone has exercised their free will in a way that's caused us incredible pain. But God did not create evil. James tells us, when you're tempted, don't ever say that God's tempting me because God can't be tempted by evil and he will not tempt anyone else. There is nothing in God that's evil. He didn't create it. He doesn't condone it. Nothing. Evil comes when... when a number of ways, but one of the ways is when somebody exercises free will that's contrary to God, evil happens. Now, why we deal with evilness right here is because this is the, when we see murder, we see God saying, this is where we actually think of evil. When, when Adam and Eve took the fruit off the tree and ate it, we say, oh, that's disobedience. It's kind of like a kid stealing a cookie from a cookie jar. He just disobeyed God. It's not really evil. He just ate a piece of fruit. How big of a deal is that? But now we get to Cain smashing his brother's head with a rock in the field. And we go, that's evil. And that's a problem in the way that we view evil. Because it allows us to sit here all cozy and say, okay, I just occasionally disobey God. It's not really evil. It's just a little disobedience. The word evil in the Bible is used 539 times in the ESV. This is a practical ingredient of God's plan. It's everywhere. Why? Because the exercise of free will, apart from God, is evil. The exercise of your free will apart from God is evil. And I went through and read, or at least skimmed, every single one of these passages. And you couple these passages with passages with goodness and holiness, and you see this plan form. And when we see when we say that God is not going to just stamp out, destroy evil, He's going to let it burn out. He's going to defeat it. Watch how this works. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit here. God created mankind. And we just said, he created, our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. God has created us to glorify him. In God's perfect plan, he knows that the best way for that to happen is for us to have free will. Okay? We see all the way through scripture, over and over and over, God using evil as he allows it to happen, to create contrast. In 1 Corinthians, he tells us even, all of these things were done so that we don't desire to do them. As Christians, we don't desire to pour ourselves, or as he says, a horse plunging into battle. That's how we plunge into evil. So that we don't desire to do that. All of these stories through the Old Testament of mankind falling into evil, just rising up into evil. We see at the very... I, I, some of these I just kind of wrote down. 
Genesis. I'm not going to go through all 539 of them. But we see it starts off, God does put the knowledge of good and evil tree there. We see in Genesis 8, even after the flood, mankind's heart is just filled with evil all the time. But he says, I'm not going to destroy the earth anymore. We get to Numbers, and they're about to go into the promised land. God says, no, 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 no. I'm going to wait till all of those whose hearts are evil die. What's he doing? He's purging. He's purging evil from these people. Keep this in mind, purging evil from these people. You go to Deuteronomy, and the word, this phrase shows up in Deuteronomy probably 20 times. They purge the evil from your midst. What's the purpose of the law? Well, it shows you all of these things that you're not doing in front of God. It makes you poor in spirit. But every time it tells you, here's how you deal with that. Get rid of the person. Stone the person. Kill them. Why? You have to purge the evil from among you. God is making a people. He's creating a remnant. Now, we're going to get New Testament here in a second. But God is creating a remnant of people that don't have evil. He's creating a remnant. We sang the song, Hear Our Bride. To you we sing. God is preparing a bride... To present to his son that has no spot, no reason, that's been washed in the water of the word. In the end, this is a hallelujah point. We will be fully volitional, have free choice, but in full glorification when we've been sanctified completely, we're only going to choose good. At that point, evil is not destroyed. It's fully defeated. And then Satan is wrapped up and he's and thrown into the burning lake of salt. It's done. That is what we call victory in Christ. Those of us who now, we have, I got to back up just a little bit. We had in the Old Testament, the law did all these things. But the Bible tells us that the law was weakened by one thing. You. Oh, I mean us. It was weakened by the flesh. We couldn't do it. As we tried to pull ourselves up and do the religious thing, we kept falling short and we needed to be atoned for and atoned for. But God had this plan. He had the covenant coming. Jesus was going to come. He was going to pay that debt. He was going to atone for our sins. And that blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel is going to cover us. Why? As Pastor Dan said earlier, because we now have everything we need for life and godliness. Before, we couldn't say no to sin. Sin was our master. Evil mastered us. You didn't have the power to say no. That didn't mean you can't do good things. You could do good things. But your good things are dirty rags to God. You could not please God apart from Christ. When Christ came and we accept that blood, we're righteous now and our deeds now can glorify God. We now have everything we need for life and godliness. That is the gospel. We now can say yes to holiness. God is looking for... This is the cliche that has just been going around in my head. Over and over, and I'm just going to kind of end here. As I read through this, this is what God is creating. He's creating a people that when evil stands in front of them, put on the full armor of God that you'll be able to take your stand against the devil's schemes. When evil stands in front of them, 
this person will say, no matter what evil besets me, I'm going to choose to reflect God's glory. Now this is the part that, this really convicts me. Because I walked through the week and, and as you grow in the Lord, it seems like you don't slip into sin nearly as much as you consciously walk into it. <laughs> Anybody? And, and each time I think about this and I say, okay, evil is in front of me. And if I actually walk into it, then I'm not one of these people yet that say, no matter what stands in front of me, I'm choosing to reflect God's glory. I'm choosing to sin. And Paul tells us I, in, in Romans chapter 7, even though I want to do good, sin is always there, right there. Evil's there tempting me. And I find myself doing the very thing I don't want to do. And he gets all wound up in that, but then he ends it with this. Oh, who can save me from this body of death? Takes a little pause, and he says, There's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. We have a Savior. That's the gospel. Yesterday, you couldn't say no. You come to Christ, and now you can say yes. You can say no to evil. You don't have to walk through that door. And that, for me, is just so, it's so liberating to know that it's. Through the Holy Spirit, it's possible for me to live a godly life. And one day, when I'm glorified and I am in heaven with God, I'm going to choose yes to reflecting God's glory all the time. And evil is defeated. That's the remnant that God is creating for himself. We are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a group of people that have been called from darkness to life. We've been brought from death to life. We need to walk in that. And there's such a victory. This, when we talk about the victory in Christ, this is victory. This is victory. That's why God has no problems. He's not up there wringing his hands. Oh no, there's an evil weed growing out the side of my tree. He's not doing that. He's not doing that. He knows that free will... Gives the potential for evil. But that's not outside of God's control. Not at all. He will let evil fully eliminate itself as he creates this remnant of people who choose to be his people no matter what. Let's pray. Father God, first, I just pray that, Lord, you would protect your word. If anything was said there that was not glorifying to you was not true to your character and who you are father i pray that you would just move that over father god i pray that you would make us into this people make us into these people god that will stand in front of whatever besets us whatever evil happens and say that i'm going to reflect your glory i'm going to reflect who you are in the face of whatever comes God lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil Amen